very amusing. Your one-stop shop for the stories, secrets, and shenanigans of a popcorn-fueled theme park journalist. I'm Carly Wiesel, and I'm going to tell you, I should not have had a whole salt bagel before recording today. <laughs> because my mouth feels like in a desert. I, uh, I feel real dry, and I hope that this you can't tell on your end. Because, oh boy... Oh boy, I'm dehydrated. I'm like, like Florida vacation for a week in the summertime dehydrated. And uh, there's going to be a lot of talking on this podcast. So I hope I make it through because we are kicking off Guide Gist, Guide Gist, Guide Gist, Guide Gist, Guide Gist. Yes, a full month dedicated to evergreen, long lasting theme park guides. It's something I've wanted to do for a very long time to just have the option of episodes available to people who regularly listen to this podcast and also who don't, who just need help planning their very first trip to one of the many theme parks we all know and love. And so I hope you enjoy these so much. The way that I've built them out is that each episode, there's going to be four of them pertaining to four different theme parks, which we are obviously, very obviously, kicking off with Disneyland this week. That they will include the basic information for if you haven't gone in a long time or you haven't been before the pandemic began or you've never been at all, while also including some very helpful tips throughout that even if you consider yourself someone who knows a lot about these parks, you will also benefit from. I truly am so excited about these. This is something I've wanted to do since we first incepted this podcast at this point years ago. So I, I, I just, I just can't wait. It's been a labor of love. It's been a lot of, a lot of writing, a lot of fact checking. Because I'll tell you, ooh, it is a lot easier to edit a written story than it is an audio podcast. But I think everything is squared away, and I just can't wait to give you the option to learn all about your future vacations while cleaning the house or driving a car, or taking care of a dog or a baby or whatever you are doing. So I'm very, very, very thankful for these. I also want to mention that when this episode drops, I will be over. Overseas. Uh, hello from London in the future. If you are listening to this, yes, I am out of the country for a multiple time rescheduled wedding that I am so excited about. So if you have any questions, I might be slightly delayed on getting back to you, but I will answer them in August. No problem. I hope you enjoy this episode. I hope you enjoy what the next few episodes hold. And with no further ado, we're going to kick it off with a few words from our sponsors. And then it is all Disneyland all the time. I'm so excited to walk you through this park to give you every little fact, every little thing you need to know. And again, if you have any other follow-up questions, ring us on 747 Churros and the Churros Hotline, or just let me know. Just tweet at me. I'm around. Okay, bye. Enjoy. Okay, bye. Hey, y'all. Darius Rucker here. You know, a lot of people ask me, what inspires your music? And one of the big things is a strong sense of place. That's why I love my home state of South Carolina and want to share the awesome things it has to offer. From the beautiful mountains down to the sunny coast, it's got it all. Not to mention two of my personal favorites, great golf and amazing food. Come see why I love this place. Visit discoversouthcarolina.com. official very amusing guide to Disneyland Resort. Now, this is our first episode of Guide Gist, and we're diving into the original, the OG, the Californian theme park that started it all. What can you expect from this episode? Well, everything you need to know about Disneyland, whether you're a Disney World person who hasn't been in years, it's your very first trip ever, or you simply live in Los Angeles and are curious about what to do during your day in the parks. Now, I want to provide a disclaimer from the jump that Disneyland rules, regulations, and best practices will change. 
It's the nature of the beast and why providing advice for theme parks can be so tricky. And doing so in a difficult to edit audio format is extremely daring and rarely ever done. But we remain steadfast and determined. This episode is intended to last and be relevant for a long time. So if you are listening to this further in the future, I just recommend checking out the show notes portion of this episode in your preferred podcast app, which will provide any updates on major changes or direct you to any pertinent details regarding policy shifts. With all that out of the way, I just want to say how stoked I am for this month of audio theme park guides. I spend so much of my time helping people get the most out of their trips to Disney parks, and doing so in an audio podcast format like this, which allows you to digest all this information while driving or getting chores done, I think can really severely lessen the burden of planning the best possible trip with expert-level knowledge. Usually you have to read so much, and just being able to hit play, to me, is so worth it. We're going to do the fun stuff first, like rides and recommendations and dining, before getting into specifics like hotels and parking. But first, to bring everybody up to speed, let's quickly discuss the lay of the land. Disneyland Resort in Anaheim, California, is a set of two theme parks, three official hotels and a downtown district, all walking distance from each other. Disneyland and Disney California Adventure, the two theme parks which charge separate daily admission or offer a park hopper ticket to visit both in one day, have entrance gates located directly across from each other, which makes traveling around Walt Disney World, in comparison, kind of seem like you're flying between European countries. You'll want to be sure to buy tickets in advance, but you also need a park reservation to enter. To repeat, A ticket no longer guarantees entry on its own. If you have a park hopper ticket, which means you're eligible to visit two parks in one day, you'll be selecting which park you'll visit first, since after 1 p.m., you're free to bounce between the two. Take note also that if you arrive after 1 p.m., you can go to either park of your choosing, which differs from Disney World's arrival policies. If you're used to Florida parks, know that Disneyland is so much smaller in scale than other Disney parks because it's primarily visited by locals and is often thought of as more of a regional theme park resort. The biggest draw here is its charm, but the flip side is that because everything is a little more condensed, walkways and popular spaces can often feel more crowded than they actually are. The upside to that quaintness, however, is that there really is a lot to experience here within a pretty small space. Something I love about Disneyland is that it's jam-packed with attractions, particularly in Fantasyland, which offers these really vintage, homegrown, historic, classic attractions like Mr. Toad's Wild Ride or Pinocchio's Daring Journey or even Alice in Wonderland that you can easily hit multiple of in relative succession. There are a lot of sweet details here, idiosyncrasies that you only start to notice once you visit frequently, like the Main Street Cinema playing early films like Plane Crazy and Steamboat Willie, or guests riding the sailing ship Columbia, a full-size replica of the first American ship to travel around the world. Truly, it's gigantic. Or even them paddling through the rivers of America on Davy Crockett's Explorer canoes, which run until the early afternoon. There's also the lit lamp in the window of Walt's apartment up above the fire station where he actually used to stay. Keep in mind, this is the first and only theme park Walt Disney ever got to visit while it was operational. There are also more community-oriented aspects that regulars tend to lean into, like vying for one of those perfectly situated rocking chairs on a Main Street porch, or how in the before times, the Royal Swing Big Band Ball would bring swing dancing to the park each Saturday night for a glorious slice of life that felt more like a mirage than reality. But if you're like me, you're here for the rides, the characters, and the entertainment. So let's get into what to do and how to actually accomplish it on your visit. Oh yeah, we're gonna get real into Genie Plus this hour. 
If you are going to Disneyland for the first time, or even for a matter of hours, there are a few key rides you should go on. Snow White's Enchanted Wish is one of them. This newly revamped Fantasyland ride is a perfect blend of classic Disneyland dark ride with modern updates and theming. Everyone's going to tell you to go on Mr. Toad's Wild Ride, which you absolutely should. But I think Snow White is a pretty good beacon for blending Disneyland's past and future, which is why I'm specifically highlighting it. The next, of course, is Radiator Springs Racers. Cursland is truly a breathtaking sight, even 10 years after it opened. And this ride is an absolute must-do, not only because it'll make you cackle laugh at the idea of Test Track being a worthy contender, ay ay ay, but because there's simply nothing else like it and probably never will be. The way they've harnessed a vast feeling of being in the American Southwest while also being wrapped inside an entirely animated world is unlike anything else. They broke the mold with this ride, and it is simply non-negotiable, especially if you've never been on it before. There are a few different tricks to getting on board, and we'll get into those later. Now, since we're already at DCA, you gotta go on Guardians of the Galaxy Mission Breakout. If you're going to go on one thrill ride while you are at Disneyland Resort, it is this one. It's nowhere else. And unlike Tower of Terror, which was reimagined at Disney California Adventure into this ride, the Imagineers worked to reinvent the elevator ride system so you're not just plummeting downwards, but also flying upwards. Mission Breakout is intense. And if that's a problem for you, which it is for many, I understand. I recommend drinking a lot of water when you go on. Personally, for me, dehydration makes me feel so much worse after a thrill ride. Riding in the morning on a light or empty stomach before you've had a bunch of treats. And packing Dramamine, which I genuinely think is worth taking in order to ride. And at this point, I think anyone listening to Very Amusing has heard of Star Wars Rise of the Resistance. So if you're going to Disneyland, to me, it is imperative to go on if you never have. We'll discuss later, but I think you should always splurge on the individual lightning lane for this one if you don't want to wait in line. Just a heads up. There are plenty of other quintessential rides like Indiana Jones Adventure, Space Mountain, and Big Thunder Mountain Railroad, and even others like Haunted Mansion and Pirates of the Caribbean, which are key for a day at Disneyland Park. And if you are a Disney World person and you're visiting the California parks for the first time, do not assume all rides you've been on in Florida will be the same, because they are not, and the differences make them so much more fun. Some rides, though, are similar and not necessary to duplicate. Rise of the Resistance and Millennium Falcon Smuggler's Run in Star Wars Galaxy's Edge are nearly identical to Florida, and Toy Story Midway Mania, Little Mermaid Ariel's Undersea Adventure, and Sword Around the World have different queue designs and layouts, but the actual ride experience remains basically the same. Dumbo is quainter here at Disneyland. Mad Tea Party is much cuter here as well. So much cuter. But your focus should be on things you can only do here if you have limited time. There are also plenty of cutesy small attractions from 1955 that exist nowhere else, like Storybook Land, Canal Boats, and Casey Jr. Circus Train, at least in this iteration. But the charm is not limited to rides either. There are plenty of things you won't see elsewhere, like the narrow walkways of New Orleans Square or the banked turns on the Matterhorn bobsleds. The newest opening at Disneyland Resort is, of course, Avengers Campus. It's home to a bunch of character interactions with the likes of Doctor Strange, Iron Man, the Dora Milaje, Captain Marvel, and more, as well as Web Slingers, a Spider-Man adventure, where you tirelessly fling your arms to sling webs, which I am very bad at. I'm always the worst one in my group, but I still find it to be a pretty good time. Personally, as a local, I lately have been spending my time on rides that are less popular and just easier to get on. 
As the parks trend towards being busy on a more regular basis, I've been finding myself leaning into things like the many adventures of Winnie the Pooh, nobody's favorite ride, Silly Symphony Swings, and even Monsters, Inc. Mike and Sully to the rescue, appreciating their charm more than before simply out of ease. One of my all-time favorite undersung rides, though, is Luigi's Rollickin' Roadsters. It uses the same trackless technology as Rise of the Resistance and Remy's Ratatouille Adventure and Mickey and Minnie's Runaway Railway at Disney World, but in a completely different way, putting you in adorable little Pixar cars that move and dance and spin to different songs. They truly dance. They dance. It's so cute. It's very delightful, and I always hop off so happy once I do it. It's such a sleeper hit with not too bad of a line, so I cannot recommend it enough. We'll get to other attractions soon, like shows and parades and fireworks, but when it comes to discussing these parks, all roads kind of lead back to Genie Plus, the replacement for Fast Pass and Max Pass. So we're gonna get into it. Genie Plus costs $20 per person per day and is the same price regardless of if you're visiting one or both parks. It includes expedited access to plenty of rides, as well as Disney PhotoPass photos, both from photographers stationed around the park and on-ride photos like those you'll get on Space Mountain. But really, whether or not you're on the fence about buying it, it's undeniable that Genie Plus will allow you to do more throughout your day and get more out of your park admission. And for that, it's kind of necessary for a fulfilling trip. As we discussed in our episode with Brooke Geiger McDonald a few months back, Genie Plus works so much better here than at Walt Disney World. While in Florida, you're only guaranteed two or three return times when booking as early as 7 a.m., here you will likely get many more return times than that. Genie Plus can be purchased in advance with new tickets or on the Disneyland app for existing tickets on the day of your visit once you enter the park. There's also Individual Lightning Lane, a select set of a la carte entry opportunities offered for Disneyland's most in-demand rides. As many of you likely know, these are purchased separately from Genie Plus, and pricing ranges between $7 to $20 per person per ride. Individual Lightning Lane is only offered on three attractions at Disneyland Resort, Radiator Springs Racers, Web Slingers The Spider-Man Adventure, and Star Wars Rise of the Resistance. It can only be purchased day of once you enter the park, and there are a limit of two individual Lightning Lane ride bookings per person per day. Once again, for anyone who is not familiar with this system, if you feel a little out of it, <laughs> you're not wrong. Genie Plus is a blanket daily fee that allows return times throughout the day when they become available. Individual Lightning Lane is a one-use-only individual return time exclusively for the most popular rides at the park. While Genie Plus can, with new tickets, be purchased in advance, all ride reservations, both with Genie Plus and Individual Lightning Lane, can only be made once you enter the park. And if you want to go on a ride with other people, you all need to be scanned into one of the parks to book a time together. Keep that in mind, if your friends are late, like mine tend to be. Both products integrate with park hopping, which starts at 1 p.m. each day, and you cannot select any ride twice. And unlike at Walt Disney World, you cannot select your individual Lightning Lane return time here. Say, at 10 a.m., choose to ride Web Slingers at 4 p.m. For both Genie Plus and individual Lightning Lane, you can only select the time that is currently available. And if that wasn't fun enough, <laughs> there's a bonus element. As of August 8th, both parks are allowing early entry for guests of Disney's three hotels, Disney's Grand Californian, Paradise Pier, and Disneyland Hotel, offering guests of those three properties 30 extra minutes inside either theme park each day. 
We'll dive into that perk later when we discuss hotels, but I'm flagging it here because it does affect the Genie Plus and Lightning Lane booking processes for both guests and non-guests going forward. I simply must credit Brady McDonald at the Orange County Register for spelling this out in a way that actually makes sense. But both parks will be allowing all visitors through the turnstiles a half hour before park opening each day. From there, hotel guests will be able to proceed past rope drop and ride attractions, while everyone else can chill on Disneyland's Main Street and The Hub or California Adventure's Buena Vista Street until the park's official opening time. But here's what you gotta know. Both groups, hotel guests and regular guests, everybody, can begin booking Genie Plus and Lightning Lane attractions once they enter the park during this early entry window. So, to spell it out once again, if the park officially opens at 8 a.m., every single person who enters at 7.30 a.m. can begin booking their Genie Plus and Lightning Lane return times, regardless of where they're staying. However, these return times will only be available for 8 a.m. and after, or whenever the park opens and afterwards. I am recording this episode prior to this process starting, but I anticipate that this will make early morning return times for attractions go a little bit more quickly. So stay tuned to sites like Disney Food Blog and All Ears for further updates on how this affects Genie Plus inventory going forward. Whoo! <laughs> now that's a lot of information. I'm barfing at you, which is why I'm going to break down the real tips and tricks for visiting Disneyland. What you actually need to know to use these products to the fullest right here and now. As we established, the best way to get the most out of your Disneyland day is to arrive early. And if you're park hopping, to have your park reservation set to start at Disneyland first. Because of the small footprint of the park and just sheer number of attractions they have, you can bank a lot more rides there, especially early in the morning. This advice comes from prior to the early entry debut change, but I love to use Genie Plus as often as possible early in the morning, when return times offered are essentially immediately available. There are different schools of thought on this, but since Genie Plus provides expedited entry to rides, I like to blast through attractions one by one using the quick Genie Plus return times earlier in the morning and waiting until later in the day to book times further out when I'll naturally be taking a break to grab lunch or hang out. If you're familiar with Genie Plus or FastPass or any iteration of this system, you probably know there are two ways to book a new Genie Plus return time for a ride. One, by actually riding the ride you've selected, which makes you eligible to book a new one. Or two, if it's a few hours away, by waiting 120 minutes until your next selection. In non-gibberish, if it's 10 a.m. and you're booking a return time for Space Mountain at 11.30, that's 90 minutes. You're just sitting on possibility. When the park opens, though, return times can be nearly immediate, allowing you to skip any standby lines on whatever ride you'd like. Some people will advise you to spend the morning riding everything standby and then start booking, which I agree with exclusively if you're trying to ride Peter Pan's flight. But I cannot deny the serotonin kick that comes from skipping the line repeatedly, so I tend to rock it this way instead. Either way, the good thing is the stakes are not as high here as they are at Walt Disney World. You can still get return times for all of the in-demand rides you want to go on, like Indiana Jones Adventure and Space Mountain, later into the afternoon and evening. The big question I always get, though, especially from theme park fans, is what should my Genie Plus priorities be? What should I book when? And what's most important? Okay, those are three questions, but they're all very valid. At Disneyland, in terms of what to prioritize, I would choose Space Mountain, Indiana Jones Adventure, and when it's hot out, 
Splash Mountain. If you don't have them booked by early afternoon, they will jump to evening return times, which could overlap with your nighttime entertainment plans. At Disney California Adventure, I'd prioritize Genie Plus selections of Toy Story Midway Mania and especially Guardians of the Galaxy Mission Breakout because their standby line can often be longer than Toy Stories. In the summertime, Grizzly River Run, the water ride there, is also very in demand. But remember, it's all relative. When holiday attraction overlays arrive, like Haunted Mansion with its Nightmare Before Christmas retheme and It's a Small World wintertime reimagination, those become significantly more popular and more essential to book. As for Lightning Lane rides, plainly put, if you want to go on Star Wars Rise of the Resistance at Disneyland, pay for it. Here's why. You could wait it out, absolutely, but I recently had a friend tell me a horror story of how he waited in the standby line multiple times in one day and the ride stopped working twice. Twice. He eventually left, didn't ride it, and had nothing to show for the hours of time he spent in line. So I think it's good to treat the individual lightning lane fee like an insurance policy, because if the ride does go down, which it does, you'll be able to rejoin the expedited queue once it's up again. At Disney California Adventure, you can book Web Slingers or Radiator Springs Racers, but I'd recommend Radiator Springs Racers over the other because I just, I just think it's a better attraction. Not everything at Disneyland Resort uses Genie Plus, however, so you should still be prepared to do traditional queuing, especially for Fantasyland rides. Now, in terms of other ways to board attractions, in addition to Disability Access Service, which is a separate offering for those who need it, I recommend you visit Disneyland.com for further details, there are two additional complimentary services I want to flag. The first is Rider Switch, which allows a party to split up and ride an attraction separately without waiting twice. This is generally used for families in a situation where a child doesn't want to or can't go on a ride, allowing their party to ride in shifts to trade off supervising the guest not riding without having to wait in the queue twice. It can be used in tandem with Genie Plus, Lightning Lane, and regular standby queues on a good amount of Disneyland attractions. The full list can be found on Disneyland's website, so just inquire at the ride entrance if that is something you need. The other is Single Rider Line. Ah, the blessed Disneyland Single Rider Lines. Your party will be separated. So if your friends or spouse or parents or whoever are not okay with riding separately, this ain't for you. But if you're willing to wait in what is more often than not a shorter line to get on popular rides, this is a really great way to cram more into your day. But I will note that some rides having it is essentially an open secret. At Disneyland, you'll find single rider lines offered on Matterhorn Bobsleds, Millennium Falcon Smuggler's Run, and Splash Mountain. But for Splash Mountain, you'll actually enter through the exit, which is why that line usually goes pretty quick since not many people know about it. At Disney California Adventure, you can find single rider lines on Grizzly River Run, Goofy Sky School, Radiator Springs Racers, which I personally usually use if I'm there with friends to avoid the line, Incredicoaster, and Web Slingers, a Spider-Man adventure. Keep in mind, these things can and have changed over time, so this is what is currently offered. Indiana Jones and Space Mountain used to have single rider lines, but as of summer 2022, they're not currently operational. Also defunct is the Buddy Pass system, which pops up online from time to time. It was once offered on Toy Story Midway Mania and Monsters, Inc. for expedited boarding. But as far as I've been able to confirm, it is no longer in effect. That's basically everything you need to know about rides. So let's talk about everything else. 
Disneyland Resort is packed with experiences that allow you to learn to draw realistic renderings of Edna Mode and Animation Academy, explore nature as a family at the Redwood Creek Challenge Trail, and even boogie along with Doc McStuffins at Disney Junior Dance Party. There is no Broadway-style show at the park at this time of recording. Frozen Live at the Hyperion was shuttered at the start of the pandemic, and I miss it so much. But there is live entertainment throughout the parks, special seasonal performers, and currently the Tale of the Lion King review-style stage show at Disneyland. Character meet and greets are pretty unique at Disneyland Resort, because to encounter Mickey or Minnie or plenty of other characters, you'll simply just kind of see them out in the park like you and me. One of the most magical parts of Disneyland is that because of its mild climate and intimate layout, you will truly see plenty of characters roaming or meeting and greeting outside. Expect to find Mickey and Pals at the bottom of Main Street USA and Buena Vista Street, where they'll be in very cute little retro costumes, Pixar characters around Pixar Pier, Cars and Radiator Springs. Yeah, you can legit meet a car. Very exciting. Tinkerbell and Pixie Hollow. And of course, Chewie, Stormtroopers, Kylo Ren, and currently Boba Fett in Star Wars Galaxy's Edge. Baby Yoda will be coming there, so keep an eye out for Grogu and the Mandalorian at some point later this year. There are also princess meet and greets at Royal Hall in Disneyland. At Avengers Campus, you'll see, honestly, almost Everybody, either wandering the land or up on the rafters of Avengers HQ. Shows happen throughout the day, too, with Doctor Strange in his ancient sanctum, or the Dora Milaje teaching guests to become warriors, or even Guardians of the Galaxy characters hosting a dance-off outside of their attraction. A lot of fan sites will have the times listed online for these shows, as Disney themselves don't really release that schedule, so either poke around or ask a cast member employee when you arrive. And as a side note, Mickey and Minnie also used to have little meet and greets in their homes in Toontown, but Toontown is currently closed as they prepare to reopen with Mickey and Minnie's Runaway Railway next year. Magic happens, the glorious Disneyland daytime parade that had the shortest run prior to COVID-19 has sadly not yet returned since the park's reopening, and we miss it. And starting September 2nd, there will be no evening parades at Disneyland until the holiday season. Main Street Electrical Parade glows away on September 1st, and the only other parades slated to come are during the holiday season. Frightfully Fun Parade at the ticketed Oogie Boogie Bash event at DCA will run there, and a Christmas Fantasy Parade returns during the holiday season at Disneyland. Now, here's the thing. D23 Expo in September is very likely to include some kind of announcement regarding parades, either here or at Walt Disney World. Because when Main Street Electrical Parade dims its lights next month, we will have three popular parades currently out of commission between Main Street Electrical Parade, Magic Happens, and Paint the Night. So stay tuned, because I got a feeling something's going to happen. We're approaching a period of transition for nighttime entertainment as well, though Fantasmic and World of Color will remain in place going forward. Fantasmic is a wonderful show at Disneyland, I love it very much, and World of Color features projections on water at Disney California Adventure. Disneyland Forever Fireworks has its last night on September 1st, and will transition to Halloween Screams Fireworks for the holiday season, followed by Believe in Holiday Magic for the wintertime, a fireworks show with snowfall for, you know, festive California weather, because we never, ever see it. 
A few bits of advice about nighttime entertainment. One, if you want a good spot for Disneyland entertainment specifically, prepare to get there early. You gotta commit. There are dining packages available for Fantasmic. The quick service one at Hungry Bear looks deeply mediocre, like a sad TV dinner, so I'm not gonna recommend that. But the table service one is also extremely confusing since you have to ask your waiter about it. There's like not, it's, listen, it's like at select restaurants and it can run out. I don't know much. Honestly, I am not the person for that specific advice. So head to a blog or a fan site because that's not my, that's not my specialty. (laughs) I'm just so confused by it. The other bit of advice, World of Color is currently offering a virtual queue for zoned viewing. That virtual queue opens at 12 p.m. each day in the Disneyland app. To be eligible to join this virtual queue, you have to be scanned into either Disney California Adventure or be scanned into Disneyland with Park Hopper admission. If you don't get reserved viewing from this virtual queue, or I don't know if you click the button the second it opens and you still don't get it, even though you have fast fingers and you're disappointed, not that I know from personal experience, Don't panic too much because you still have to arrive 45 minutes early for that section anyway, and it's almost more convenient to sneak into a halfway decent spot at the last minute. I've had luck further to the right, closer to Golden Zephyr, just grabbing a spot at the last minute and kind of seeing half the show. And to be honest, I've regretted every time I've had a great view because when you're up that close, you can get wet and it is cold in these parks at night. And last but not least, Always, always, always check the show times before you travel to Disneyland. Sometimes fireworks aren't every night, which is especially possible on weeknights in slower seasons. If you see Mickey's Mixed Magic on the schedule, I apologize in advance. (laughs) Also, if fireworks are of the utmost importance to you on your Disneyland trip, I would recommend planning to see them on two different nights. Winds can be strong in the area and they can cause the fireworks shows to be canceled from time to time, so it's a bit of an insurance policy to make sure you make it. When it comes to where to view fireworks at Disneyland, there are multiple places to watch them and the chaos of being by the castle is often too much for me. I love seeing Fantasmic, it's my favorite nighttime show at Disneyland, and have often stayed there for fireworks. Otherwise, I find viewing fireworks in front of It's a Small World to be a pretty ideal spot if you don't want to camp out for a long time. They play the projections on a massive attraction facade, and you can also catch this little two-minute homage to Encanto throughout the night. Search for It's a Small World Encanto projection in the Disneyland app, and it'll pop up. We are going to take a quick break and then we're getting into all things dining. One of the biggest attractions at Disneyland Resort, if you ask me. Stick around for that and more after this message. Okay, you know that feeling that everyone knows something that you don't? For me, that used to be Quince, but no more. Quince is a truly astounding retailer, essentially carrying everything a person on your mood board would wear. We're talking washable silk blouses, chic leather bags, 14 karat gold jewelry, European linen dresses, and the best part of all is that Quince items are priced 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They're up here with $50 Mongolian cashmere sweaters. $50! Beautiful, timeless items you can wear and actually live in. Meaning, 
You don't have to be scared to bring them on your theme park travels. By partnering directly with top factories, Quince cuts out the cost of the middleman and passes the savings on to us. And if you're sensitive to retailers like I am, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing practices and premium fabrics and finishes. But it's not just your everyday work-life clothes. They have everything. I recently joined a new gym, big deal for me, and desperately needed new workout clothes to wear there. It's kind of like an LA gym. It's like it kind of got to look cute. So I ordered a pair of their Ultraform bike shorts and high-rise pocket leggings. And when I tell you, the quality of these leggings is truly on par with brands I paid three times as much for, which really kind of makes me love these three times more. I'm not only going to buy them again, but actually buy the other travel stuff in my cart because they have things like beautiful pastel suitcases for 129 bucks and these wildly affordable compression packing cubes that I have been waiting forever to buy compression packing cubes and they're always so pricey and here the price fits. So if you want to get ready for work, your new gym, travel, anything in your life, go to Quince. Quince.com slash amusing will get you free shipping on your order and 365 day returns. Ooh, that's nice for someone who puts stuff off like I do. That's Q-U-I-N-C-E dot com slash amusing to get free shipping and 365 day returns. Quince.com slash amusing. Save big money and transform your home with new appliances now at Menards. We offer the lowest prices and the largest in-stock appliance selection ready to take home today. Check out top appliance brands, including KitchenAid, Maytag, Whirlpool, Amana, and Criterion. Upgrade your home and save big money on new appliances at Menards. Shop our entire selection of appliance options online today at Menards.com. Save big money at Menards. Hey y'all, Darius Rucker here. You know, a lot of people ask me, what inspires your music? And one of the big things is a strong sense of place. That's why I love my home state of South Carolina and want to share the awesome things it has to offer. From the beautiful mountains down to the sunny coast, it's got it all. Not to mention two of my personal favorites, great golf and amazing food. Come see why I love this place. Visit discoversouthcarolina.com. talk about dining. The first thing you've got to know is that essentially none of the food at Disneyland is going to be bad. From snacks to quick service restaurants where you order at a counter to table service restaurants with waiters, there are more fresh and seasonal options available here than almost any other theme park in existence. So with the littlest bit of effort, namely just listening to this podcast, you're guaranteed to eat well. But on the flip side, prices are steadily increasing. Food in general, here and everywhere, costs more than it used to, and I anticipate particularly as the Walt Disney Company moves out of the pandemic, this is a trend we will continue to see. Given that Disneyland was closed for over a year, no income, nothing, for over 400 days, this company understandably has to recoup. But it still stings a bit whenever you go to pay the bill, both here and at Walt Disney World. While the park itself is for the most part back up and running, a handful of my most reliable favorite foods are still not back on the menu. Cozy cones no longer have the pretzel bites with cheese that I love. Cafe Orleans still somehow doesn't have those towering piles of seasoned pomme frites that made that place so iconic. And menus elsewhere can still be quite limited. Many table service restaurants and even quick service restaurants have fewer entrees to choose from than you might expect. Docking Bay 7 Food and Cargo, for example, 
even has fewer dishes here than at its counterpart at Walt Disney World. Alcohol is sold throughout Disney California Adventure, but at Disneyland Park, the main park, it's only available inside two locations. Ogus Cantina, the Star Wars bar within Galaxy's Edge, which has pre-batched space cocktails, and Blue Bayou Restaurant. Dining reservations are recommended for table service restaurants as well as the aforementioned Oga's Cantina Bar. Reservations open 60 days in advance around 6 a.m. Pacific time, but even logging on to book at that exact moment won't guarantee you get what you want. I recommend checking back often, and I mean often, especially the day before and the day of your trip. Disney will charge guests for cancellations within 24 hours, so things can and will open up last minute. Also, be sure to play around with the parameters. Sometimes I've noticed that booking a table for four instead of three opens me up to new reservation opportunities. There are also third-party websites that for a charge will alert you if a reservation opens up, but they're unaffiliated with Disney, so I'm going to refrain from mentioning them by name here. If you can't get a reservation where you want to dine, don't panic. That's pretty normal these days. Your best move for most locations is going to be to lean into the waitlist function within the Disneyland app. Its official name is Mobile Walk Dine-Up Availability, but it's a savvy way to join a walk-up waitlist at popular restaurants in the park, and the best part is, it actually works. The only caveat is that you need to physically be near the restaurant to join it, which can either be done through the Disneyland app, which checks your location, or by scanning a QR code at the entrance. To use this functionality, search the table service restaurant you want to visit, say Carnation Cafe within the app, and hit Join Walk-Up List. It will also give you an estimated wait time. But here's a little side tip I'll give you. This system was seemingly designed to lessen the burden on employees at the host stand, which at places like Cafe Orleans especially, can just be crushed with people. However, I once tried to use it at Carthay Circle Lounge at Disney California Adventure, only to learn the waitlist was full. The host stand had no guests in it, so I walked up and asked when it might open up again. And they out of nowhere offered to seat us immediately. And we were a party of seven or eight, so keep that in mind. If an employee is available, it might be helpful to just check in and ask, especially if you have any sort of table preference. Technology can come in handy for quick service restaurants, snacks, and more because I highly recommend leaning into and using mobile food ordering whenever possible. You can place your order well in advance, which is a great way to kill time while stuck in a ride queue. And better yet, if you need to cancel your order or change the time or even just never show up, which I don't recommend, but things happen, you won't be charged unless you actually click, I'm here, prepare my order to collect your food. And of course, as a disclaimer, if you're neurotic like I am, your food will not be sitting out melting in the hot sun if you order in advance. The mobile order only covers the ordering part. They won't prep and serve until you're actually there. So it comes out fresh every time. With all that out of the way, if you're wondering what and where you should eat while at Disneyland Resort, I have got you covered. If you're only here once and really want something special and somewhat nicer or more upscale in vibe, Blue Bayou is kind of the place to be since it's the only restaurant that puts you inside an attraction. Yes, you're sitting within Pirates of the Caribbean. I don't love the menu though, personally. And if you're more concerned with the food than the whimsy, I would direct you somewhere like Disney California Adventures Carthay Circle Restaurant, which is the nicest in-park restaurant you'll find, or Napa Rose at Disney's Grand Californian Hotel, which is the most elegant restaurant you're likely to find at Disneyland Resort. It's also just steps outside of the park, but is definitely the nicest, most upscale restaurant that they operate. 
When it comes to my favorite table service choices at Disneyland Resort, we will start at Disneyland Park with Carnation Cafe. Their breakfast has Mickey-shaped waffles, which are so hard to find here for some godforsaken reason. But come lunch and dessert, it's kind of a fun vintage menu, offering fried pickles, Walt's chili, wedge salads, and chicken fried chicken. But what I love most of all is its intimate outdoor seating right off of Main Street, which puts you in the action while also being slightly removed from it. And because breakfast finally returns there on September 2nd, I'm adding Riverbell Terrace to the list. Their menu reads like a fancy city brunch with dishes like avocado toast and a shrimp and catfish benedict. But there's also a really solid lunch and dinner menu of fried chicken, blackened catfish, burnt and grilled cheese sandwiches, and more, along with pimento mac and cheese and a couple salads. At Disney California Adventure, in terms of table service restaurants, I am sending you straight to Lamplight Lounge. Their brunch on Friday, Saturday, and Sunday has things like chilaquiles and fancy French toast, and this breakfast burger with green chili and egg and a hash brown patty on the burger. But their standard menu is great as well. The potato skin appetizer with aioli and manchego cheese is one of my all-time favorites and really does not get enough attention. But they also offer some heftier and more interesting entrees as well, like a pastrami-spiced Impossible Burger, which I have to get, and an al pastor pork chop. It's here that you will also find lobster nachos, one of the OG dishes at California Adventure. You can grab them here or at the confoundingly named Lamplight Lounge Boardwalk Dining, which is a separate upstairs outdoor patio that only operates by same-day waitlist. The upstairs is ideal for when you're visiting with a group and you don't really have plans, since it boasts a glorious view of Pixar Pier and a more limited, snacky menu. But it still remains one of the best spots for a smaller, impromptu meal with some colorful themed drinks and indulgent bites, like those lobster nachos. Also, a tip for either. In the past, I've sometimes ordered them downstairs with steak instead of lobster, but if you haven't had them the standard way, definitely try that first. I'm also not 100% sure if they still do that because, you know, pandemic everything, but just throwing it out there that they're very good with steak. If you're more into an elegant cocktail and classy bar vibe, Carthay Circle Lounge Alfresco Dining is my top recommendation and where I end up most. This is the downstairs bar lounge for Carthay Circle Restaurant. The menu here is small, the portions are small, and the prices are high, but it's fine because the cocktails are exceptional, <laughs> exceptional, truly, truly exceptional. And even if you don't drink, they have this rose petal soda that is non-alcoholic and absolutely divine that I still order from time to time. For a midday break to have a little something, this is my go-to spot time and time again. Disneyland Resort runs on quick service dining, however, and I have my go-to spots which you can visit any time of day. At Disneyland Park, I'm usually heading straight to Rancho Del Zocalo, especially at dinner time. Park days are long, and I love to load up on food here. I get hungry when I'm at the parks because it's generally really good, the portions are large, and it's the ideal meal to fuel up on and just keep on going. They also have a tostada salad, which I feel like I rarely see anymore. And by the way, do not sleep on the horchata. If I'm not here, I'm probably at Docking Bay 7 in Star Wars Galaxy's Edge, loading up on Andorian roasted chicken salad with the best herb ranch dressing, or the kids' tip-yip with mac and cheese. I just love that as a snack. In the winter months, items like Jolly Holiday's tomato soup and grilled cheese combo or Plaza Inn's fried chicken are as classic as it gets and will warm you from the inside on those chilly evenings. It gets cold here, I promise. I promise! 
Over at Disney California Adventure, I'm more often than not grabbing a table at Pim Test Kitchen, where I enjoy honestly pretty much anything on the menu, especially the pimini, the not-so-little chicken sandwich, perhaps, um, you know, dunking some tater tots and the beer cheese that's sold with the massive quantum pretzel and also a la carte if you don't want the big pretzel. But it's also home to a newer iconic food, the Choco Smash Candy Bar. This massive, and I'm not messing around, massive homemade candy bar is the best dessert Disney has debuted in years and requires a group to finish it, but is absolutely worth ordering. With layers of peanuts, caramel, and nougat atop a chocolate brownie base and drenched in dark chocolate, it's quite possibly the best dessert I've ever had at Disneyland. Save some room and potentially pack some Ziploc bags if you're heading home for the night for this one. I've brought it home before and it's a hit and I froze it and it was wonderful. Oh my God, I can't wait to get that again. And of course, for quick service restaurants, I always like to peek in on what Paradise Garden Grill is doing at DCA since they rotate their menu and always have something fun and tasty going on. There are a lot more grab-and-go type meals across both parks, like sourdough bread bowls filled with chowder or soup or mac and cheese at locations like Pacific Wharf Cafe and Harbor Galley. And Disneyland's Bengal barbecue meat skewers make for a really easy protein-packed snack on the go. Corn dogs are also an absolute classic must-eat because here they're hand-dipped and are so excellent. It's like the corn dog of your youth. They are truly delicious. You can find them in Disneyland at the Little Red Wagon, off to the right of Main Street, and at Stage Door Cafe, which, I don't know, it's slightly less fun to get them there than at the wagon, personal preference, or at Corndog Castle at Disney California Adventure. And if you are a vegetarian, they have a hefty all-cheese one at Corndog Castle, so you can still get in on the fun. Conversely, Ronto Roasters, inside Disneyland's Star Wars-themed land, sells a beloved Porky Pito Ronto Wrap sandwich, but I actually prefer the Ronto-less Garden Wrap, a meat-free version with kimchi and gochujang sauce and a plant-based sausage. It's one of my all-time favorite Disneyland foods. Galaxy's Edge actually does have a few worthy snacks, too. A personal favorite is the chocolate popcorn from Katsaka's Kettle, which is dusted with salt for a sweet and savory moment. And the cold brew black calf, an iced coffee drink with foam and cocoa puff toppings that has become a total internet obsession among Disney fans. Disneyland is packed, as you know, just jam-packed with zillions of churros and popcorn and jalapeno-stuffed and Mickey-shaped pretzels, all of which I recommend. But there are some other iconic sweets and treats, too, that you cannot miss. If you're at Disneyland, you're probably already getting Dole Whip, which, be warned, I think Disneyland offers too small of a portion for the price, and I'm not afraid to say it. You can find it at Disneyland's Tiki Juice Bar or Tropical Hideaway for mixed fruit-flavored swirls, which are fun. And that spot also offers bao buns filled with lime chicken or vegetables and has a really nice area for outdoor seating, so I tend to prefer it. Also, since there's no walk-around alcohol at Disneyland Park, I'm just going to mention that you can trot over to Disneyland Hotel's Tangaroa Terrace for Dole Whip floats with rum. Just FYI. Just putting it out there. Then there's the famous Mickey-shaped beignets and mint julep bar, which typically offer a standard option and a rotating seasonal flavor. Personally, I've never preferred the seasonal flavor, but if you want to try them both, go ahead. Real fans say that Ralph Brennan's beignets in Downtown Disney are better than these, but come on, we're here for the Mickey-shaped foods, so I fully ignore that advice. There's also plenty to ogle at Disneyland's candy shops like caramel apples and Mickey-shaped sweets, but do not skip out on the churro toffee. Coated in white chocolate and dusted in cinnamon sugar, it's one of the best take-home treats to enjoy in the days after your trip as well, if you can happen to wait that long. 
My absolute favorite sweet, though, is Jolly Holiday's Matterhorn Macaroon, a white chocolate dunked blob of shredded coconut shaped like the park's snowy mountain. It's one of the best, most classic, and well-priced items you will find. I recommend mobile ordering multiple of them in the morning and tossing them in your bag for the day. It makes a really good snack. And whenever I'm there with a large group, I like to surprise everyone and buy them one. And it's just just a nice little post-lunch touch. And if you are interested in my other favorite treats, like my beloved chunky little french fries, I did a standalone episode of Very Amusing all about my five favorite unexpected Disneyland snackies. It's from March 29th, 2022. So just scroll back in the feed to check that one out. We're not going to go too deep into dining outside of the parks, but I do want to flag a couple things, particularly at Disneyland's hotels. Trader Sam's Enchanted Tiki Bar at Disneyland Hotel is a glorious tiki bar with indoor and outdoor seating. It is open to all ages until 8 p.m., but after 8 p.m. is only 21 and older, which is why it is so in demand at night among adults and basically a favorite hotspot for anyone visiting with friends or as a couple especially. Their drinks are wonderful, and I highly recommend them. But they also share a menu with Tangaroa Terrace, a quick-service restaurant that anyone can visit any time of day. So I really dig the food here, whether or not you get it while you're at Trader Sam's. I personally recommend the pango-crested long beans and the tonkatsu ramen. And if you remember, Tangaroa Terrace is where they sell Dole Whip with rum. The quick service GCH Craftsman Grill at Disney's Grand Californian Hotel is one of my preferred locations, especially for go-to breakfasts, but they also have a solid menu throughout the day. And the confusingly named GCH Craftsman Bar, why, why did they do this, is a poolside restaurant at the hotel just steps away from GCH Craftsman Grill that has TVs and pizzas. And basically, I find it to be the ideal location if you're going to the parks with someone who really just needs to take a break from the parks. Is that a little wink wink to perhaps my husband? I don't know. I'll never tell. But if you two are visiting the parks with someone who just kind of has to get out of them for about 45 to 75 minutes, I recommend dropping by GCH Craftsman Bar. Let's get into lodging and logistics. People generally have a lot of different takes on how long to visit Disneyland Resort for. I genuinely think you can get a lot done in one day, and essentially most everything in two days. But if you're a diehard Disney fan who really wants to experience it all, I think three days is your best bet. But as an aggressive Disney World-minded person, I can jam everything I want to do into two days, no problem. If you are flying in, John Wayne Airport is much closer than LAX, Los Angeles' international airport, but sometimes you can't help but flying to LAX. I personally live a little further out than LAX, but I usually budget an hour and a half minimum, minimum, to drive between LA and Anaheim, just because of traffic and any potential for accidents. During rush hour, which can be as early as 3 p.m., I am so sorry, it can take up to two hours, so just keep that in mind. If you're planning on doing Los Angeles and Disneyland on the same trip, just be aware of the traffic situation, which is no joke. We probably sound dramatic and like we're exaggerating, but I swear we are not. Let's talk hotels, too. Unlike at Walt Disney World, I personally believe where you stay here doesn't have as huge of an impact on your trip, especially because of the rising costs and limited availability to stay on property. I say that with quotes on property because there are an unbelievable amount of hotels directly near Disneyland, most of which are truly walking distance to the parks. So you have so many options. 
a lot of influencers I know have kind of partnered up with different ones locally, but I personally have not stayed at those, so I would refer you to them. I can't really opine on those hotels personally. But since I live in Los Angeles, I've really only spent the night maybe five or six times at non-Disney operated hotels. So if you're a brat like me and you like a really nice room, just stay away from anything castle themed or motel-like in layout. I don't want to drag any place by name, especially considering I haven't found my spot yet. I haven't found like my go-to hotel, but I will add that that new West in Anaheim looks pretty nice. And I recently stayed at the JW Marriott, which I liked, but I didn't, I didn't love. I love that it's close to Cheesecake Factory, but I didn't love that it backs up against Anaheim's deeply sad garden walk, which is just perennially half empty. And the rooms were nice, even if it was a bit of a hike. The hotel's nice, but oh, garden walk, ay ay ay. Just keep in mind, Anaheim hotels have also recently gotten wind of resort fees, which you just want to be on top of while budgeting your trip. Really, though, Disneyland operates three hotels, which are probably the ones you've heard of. Disney's Grand Californian Hotel and Spa, Disneyland Hotel, and Disney's Paradise Pier Hotel, which will one day be turned into some sort of... Toy Story themed something. I expect we'll find out more this September. I personally have not stayed at Paradise Pier Hotel, and I also don't plan on ever staying at Paradise Pier Hotel. It has a real early 2000s vibe and not in a fun retro way. No, no, no. It's not for me. It is the most affordable option compared to Disneyland's other two hotels, but essentially I would rather spend that price on an off-property hotel. So... Uh, I got not much to say about their moving on. Disneyland Hotel, it's the vintage vibe you're probably looking for if you're a diehard Disneyland person. I mean, it's the Disneyland Hotel. The pool is great. They have a fun monorail water slide. The towers are themed. But in terms of the rooms, the last time I stayed there was in 2019 during D23 Expo. And boy, oh boy, oh boy, was my room in need of an update. I've stayed in better rooms at the hotel, the ones with the fireworks headboards, which are adorable. But at the end of the day, I still find these rooms to be too old fashioned. And I have never been wowed by my experience at this hotel. And yet I say that knowing that it's classic. It's the Disneyland freaking hotel. And I give it a lot of leeway for how special it is. So it's up to you. But generally, I'm not entirely sure if this place is worth the price they're charging because those rooms just don't, don't, don't feel fresh. Last but not least, ay, 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 Disney's Grand Californian Hotel and Spa is beautiful. It is obviously the preferred choice, but I say that knowing that boy, oh boy, it is costly. This one's going to set you back some real coin, but if you're doing DVC or you can swing it, this is obviously the choice. The rooms have all been remodeled recently. The bathrooms are nice. The lobby is extraordinary, and it's the only hotel with direct access to a theme park, which is so glorious for when you just want to pop down and hit the parks earlier, go back to your room and change after a water ride. All so easy breezy. Whether or not you do stay here, though, I highly recommend just peeking in at the lobby, which you can pop out of the park to do. Just look at it and go back. No worries. Particularly during the holiday season when it is oh so charming. But for all three, regardless of my critiques, my praise, uh, my terror at what, <laughs> what the cost is, there is something about staying in the magic. There's something about staying with Disney that makes it special regardless of the price. But on top of that, all three official Disney hotels offer perks, some of which just came back. 
The early entry benefit, which we discussed earlier, allows guests of all three Disney hotels to enter the park and ride rides 30 minutes early, which is a big deal and a major advantage. Keep in mind, this benefit is offered at Walt Disney World, but there it's offered to loads and loads of hotels. Here, it's only three hotels. So if you wake up early enough, you're going to be able to get on stuff quickly if you are there when it begins. There's also direct theme park entry into DCA through Disney's Grand California Resort and Spa, as well as a separate entrance across the street from Disney's Paradise Pier Hotel. And there is next day package delivery for souvenirs you buy in park. And soon Disneyland hotels will offer preferred access to hotel dining, a big advantage for anyone trying to book character dining. Whether you stay on property, off property, or just visiting for the day, we're going to get into parking and entry procedures. Parking on property costs $30 per car, and Disneyland operates two different parking locations. The main parking structure, which you're probably familiar with, Mickey and Friends and its adjoining Pixar Pals parking garage, as well as Toy Story parking area, a flat lot on the opposite side of the resort. At Mickey and Friends, you'll park, proceed through security, and then board a tram and be dropped at the far end of downtown Disney, close to the park gates. Keep in mind, it can take some time to pull into the lot, get a spot, and make it in. I usually budget around 45 minutes of arriving in the morning from actually arriving at the garage to actually getting inside Disneyland. For the Toy Story parking area, you'll board a bus and be dropped at the public entrance to Disneyland Resort off Harbor Boulevard, and you will go through security there. If you're arriving on foot from local hotels, by bus or shuttle, or even being dropped off via Uber or Lyft, this is also where you are likely to enter. This entrance lets you out right by the entry gates to both theme parks, so it's super convenient. The other main public entrance, which guests can reach on foot, is down by Disneyland Hotel at the start of downtown Disney, the outdoor mall and dining district that is just outside park gates. When entering through here, you can access my favorite way to actually get into Disneyland Park, which is via the monorail. It's, uh, it's slightly less efficient than Disney World, particularly in the way that they load it, but it's always fun to get a ride around Disneyland before ultimately being dropped smack inside the park near the border of Tomorrowland and Fantasyland. Keep in mind, though, because it is essentially in park transportation, you'll need admission and a park reservation to enter Disneyland Park. In terms of tickets, there are ways to get discount tickets from third-party sellers, but I've never done it myself, and honestly, the concept kind of freaks me out because I'm very anxious and I don't want to bank on a, some third-party ticket when I'm going on vacation. So as someone who has no experience with that, I sadly have no advice for you there. If you are a California resident, however, there are seasonal ticket discounts which are often advertised on Disneyland's site, and I myself regularly share on social media. They're a pretty good deal. I'm a huge fan of them. I've used them before, especially they're great for locals who want to visit more than once and save some money while doing so. So keep an eye out for those either on my profiles or on Disneyland's site. With everything out of the way, I at long last have some top tips for if you're heading to Disneyland and you like to carry a lot of stuff with you like I do. First things first, bring a cell phone charger and a cord. I like to use fuel rods, which are 30 bucks a pop and swappable throughout the resort, both here and at Walt Disney World, so they come in handy. But because you will be booking so many things on your phone, you will need just any sort of cell phone charger because your phone will die otherwise. So just make sure to bring a phone charger and a cord. 
All of my packing recommendations are in my wire cutter story. Just Google Carly Wiesel Disney wire cutter and it'll pop up. But I also usually bring a sun hat, reusable water bottle, sunscreen, and a collapsible shopping bag for any purchases. I prefer the band Bagu. They fold up real nice. Their patterns are cute since you can toss them over your shoulder and you can tie them in a knot so stuff doesn't fall out when you're on rides. The shopping bags that you get in the park, it's a little harder to shove things in and I just like to keep everything secure. If you're anything like me, you will get cold at night. I get so cold at these parks. I always pack an embarrassing multitude of layers, including including hand warmers, including hand warmers for when the sun goes down because you are really kind of playing by desert rules when you're here. To me, the greatest luxury when visiting Disneyland is not Club 33, but to have a locker to shove all my stuff in. So if I'm staying until nighttime, I grab one when I arrive and jam all my nighttime layers and anything else I don't want to carry in there, which, considering how close you are to everything, especially those lockers near the entrance, it makes life so much easier. Also, be sure to mobile order food well in advance. I recommend this all the time, but it's so much easier to discuss mealtime when you're waiting in ride queues because you're not doing anything anyway, and you can always cancel or amend your order pickup time. I believe we have covered everything, but if you are heading to Disneyland and you have questions that I have not covered, please give us a ring on the Churros hotline at 747-CHURROS, and I will do my best to get you an answer. Thank you so much for listening to our first episode in GuideGist, and stay tuned for a few more just like this. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hi, Carly. This is McKaylee calling from British Columbia, Canada. I've been listening to the pod since episode one, and I'm so excited because this is my first call into the Carol's hotline. Uh, anyways, um, I just got engaged to my partner of five years, and during those five years, I had taken him from casual Disney fan to almost as unhinged as I am, although he would beg to differ. Now, I believe that you first went to Disney World for your bachelorette party, question mark. So when you got married, you weren't a big Disney fan yet. But if you had to do it over, which Disney song would you walk down the aisle to? I'm thinking of doing a piano version of I See the Light from Tangled, but I think I need some input. Thanks. Have a great day. Yes, you are correct. I went to Walt Disney World for the first time as an adult on my bachelorette party. So a few months later when my wedding rolled around, we did not have any sort of Disney element in it because I was into Disney, but I wasn't at the level I am currently at. However, you raised the perfect question because I have obviously given this so much thought. And the one thing I would redo about my wedding, the one single thing I would redo is the music we walked down the aisle to. Because I, like a few years in, I was like, you know what? There is one song that I would want to walk down the aisle to, and it is a Disney song. So I got you. Now, I don't know how much we can put in this episode as a snippet of it. Uh, I will leave that up to Jeff Fox, who probably knows better than me. But I'm going to play what it is, and then I'll talk about it after, which I will play right now. You make me happy. 
scene to me it is the most beautiful song it is very sweet uh miss piggy and kermit walk down the aisle to it and i truly think it's the most romantic piece of music probably ever written take that john legend uh but if i could redo anything about my wedding it would be to play that song and i feel like if you're calling me you might know what mess you're stepping into because while the song you chose is great i think that's a wonderful choice for a wedding i can only sit here and recommend this it simply must be this it's so romantic it's so sweet i love it so much and again if i could redo anything it would be to play that song, to play that Muppets rendition, truly like with the characters singing, not even like an acoustic version of it or anything, like straight from the film at my wedding. Um, I, I hope you take my advice to heart, but I'm sure whatever music you choose, it'll be wonderful. And congratulations on your engagement and have a wonderful wedding. And yeah, I highly, Muppets always make everything better. So just think about that for your wedding day. Just think about it. Just think about it. Thanks for calling. Hi, Carly. This is Tammy from Ohio. First of all, shout out and thank you to my adopted mother, Audrey, for recording my pep talk a few, a while back. Um, listen to it often. Still love hearing her on podcast. Love that she recorded the episode with you on the wish. That was one of my favorites. Okay, but anyway, moving on, we need to talk about this happily ever after conspiracy that I think you just added to. Okay, so you talked about Jordan Fisher posting that video about happily ever after and how, gosh, that has to be a plant, right? It's too perfect leading up to D23 Expo. And then in the very same episode, you interview your close personal friend who's, you know, very involved with D23 and D23 Expo. Carly, are you, is this a hint, hint, wink, wink? How is, is this not a plant as well? Are you in on the conspiracy? If so, I'm, Yes, thank you. Totally for it. Please bring back Happily Ever After. I'll be booking a trip for the moment it opens. Um, if you, like, you know, blink twice and keep the, have silence on the air for a few minutes, if I am correct. Thanks. Bye. Okay, well, I am all for perpetuating a conspiracy. I have to tell you that there is no correlation between having Jeffrey Epstein on the podcast and my very public acknowledgement that I do think Happily Ever After is coming back just because I feel it in my bones. I would say that Jeffrey at this point knows me well enough to not tell me that information because I... I'm very good at keeping secrets, but I cannot keep a secret like happily ever after. So that's why I would say all my uh, all my wells hath run dry when it comes to happily ever after information in the past few months. I have not been tipped on anything and I do not know anything because if and this let me just cover Jeffrey's butt here. If if it was mentioned to me about happily ever after, if I did know something, I would be very silent about it right now because I wouldn't want to draw any attention, any attention. So keep that in mind that I do not have current intel on if or when or ever happily ever after is returning. 
However, however, I have heard some stuff from about a year ago, which I feel like is there a statute of limitations in gossip? I don't know. But there were rumblings around the time that Enchantment debuted when the 50th anniversary began. There were rumblings that Happily Ever After might return, could return, could return eventually. And I haven't heard anything recently. So all of that is very outdated, very old intel. But to me, I'm sorry, like Jordan Fisher is a Disney celebrity. Jordan Fisher understands Jordan Fisher's position within the Disney realm. So if someone who stars in a nighttime entertainment show is just floating it out there, to me, that holds significant weight. I would not be surprised if we hear something at D23 Expo about Happily Ever After. I really hope we do. Because again, Wishes was around for so long. And we had Happily Ever After for, I believe it was around four years. So we really didn't have this show for that long. And nobody was tired of Happily Ever After, which is why it was so shocking when it was removed for something that I will boldly say is not as good as the show it replaced. Uh, Enchantment, it does not hold a candle to Happily Ever After. It feels like and I say this as somebody who appreciates and understands synergy. It feels like an ad for Disney Plus in the middle of the park and does not beat Happily Ever After. So I really hope HEA comes back. I just kind of feel it in my bones. Like Jordan Fisher posting online, D23 Expo coming up. We got a lot of stuff on the slate for nighttime entertainment that could come back because, again, we are only a few months away from the 50th anniversary at Walt Disney World ending. So I think anything is possible. But no, I do not have any direct D23 info because if I did, I would not be openly talking about Happily Ever After right now because while I'm good at keeping a secret, I'm not very good at lying. So I'm just hoping, praying, putting it out into the universe. Y'all should too. I mean, I think they keep track of that stuff. I'm sure there's someone, some like firework executive being like, what are people saying about Happily Ever After? So fingers crossed it comes back because I love that show so, so, so much. So uh, let's all hope. Let's all, let's all pray and let's all make it happen because Happily Ever After is the best firework show around and I just want it back. Thank you for calling. <laughs> hey, Carly. My name is Courtney. I'm from Omaha, Nebraska. Uh, as a fellow Midwesterner, I have a very important question for you. My husband and I go to the Iowa State Fair every year, and we love to walk around, look at the local art, the baked goods, the animals, but it's really all about the food. <laughs> so it can be pretty overwhelming deciding what to get. So I was wondering, what is your must-have, can't-miss State Fair food item? Thank you so much. I can't wait for D23 next month. I hope to see you on the expo floor. Oh my gosh. First things first, I am so jealous that you get to go to the Iowa State Fair every year. <laughs> what a dream. I personally, uh, the closest fair to us is the OC Fair, which is in Orange County, California. I don't love that one because to me, state fairs are just so much more special when they're in the middle of the country, like a coastal state fair, not my bag, even though they have a lot of the good stuff. There's nothing like just like a true Midwestern state fair. I had um, I had the lucky opportunity to go to the Minnesota State Fair a few years ago. It was a life-changing experience. I loved it so much. Um, the first food that comes to mind, which is not my state fair go-to food, which I will get into in a second, was that they had, I think it was Sweet Martha's Cookies, where you just buy a bucket of cookies. That's what I'm talking about, like a popcorn bucket, but it's full of cookies. That's what I'm talking about. It was a good time. Truly, like, when else can you just hang out with a bunch of people and eat a pail of cookies? But 
when I'm at a state fair, I usually, I'm not going to a meat product. I want something cheesy and I want something fried and I want something potato-y. So anything that combines those, I know that there's always like a trend food. It's like, oh, like the new hot thing at the state fair is And I still usually tend to love a new a new way that I haven't eaten a, eaten a potato. I really like some sort of like weird spiral cut potato or truly anything with nacho cheese done in a way that is not typical. Otherwise, I'm just taking a deep fried cheese. I used to have, years ago, I used to be very into a deep fried Oreo, deep fried pickles. I'm not so into that anymore. I just like, I want the hits. I want a deep fried cheese curd. I want <laughs> potato. Really, it's just like, I want cheese and potatoes. That's all I want. But it's really any any form that I can get nacho cheese in, which I can't usually get regularly. Like I would never go to a state fair and get nachos or like a soft pretzel with cheese. I would want the cheese and something funky. Um, please let me know what you eat at it, if you already had it or what you had, because I'm so jealous. Oh man, how did I not go to State Fair this year? What a miss. But thank you for calling. Oh, so lucky. It's State Fair. Okay, hi, it's me again. I am obviously on the Minnesota State Fair website again, because to me, the Minnesota State Fair is like the pinnacle of State Fair. They're all great, but Minnesota's really got it locked down. And I just wanted to explain what I meant by like trend food. So if you go on the Minnesota State Fair website and you go under food, the top thing is new foods. And I want to read some of these to you. Um, One of them is breakfast gnocchi, which is gnocchi with scrambled eggs, bacon, pesto cream, shallots, and a balsamic glaze. Like we're always talking like things you can't really get anywhere else. A concha bacon burger. I have never heard of that. So it's on like a sweet Mexican sweetbread roll with raspberry aioli, but then it's like a beef patty with bacon. Interesting. Uh, Deep fried ice cream. I've seen that before. That's not as new. What else do we got? Oh, okay. We got an ice cream sundae made with black licorice ice cream. I don't know about that. There is uh, lemon sandwich cookies deconstructed into four large tortilla chips. Again, the the level of food technology happening at these state fairs is really unlike anything else. This is what I mean by saying they're they're pushing the boundary. Oh God, there's a pickle pizza with like little like little 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 dill pickles. I, I don't I don't know about that. Ooh, this sounds great. I've had something like this before. A Reuben roll, corned beef, Swiss cheese, sauerkraut, and an egg roll wrapper. That is what I'm talking about. That sounds great. I like I wasn't kidding about the food technology, you guys. <laughs> this one looks oh 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 okay. There's a tot dog, which is a I thought it was a corn dog. It is a hot dog and corn dog batter, but the corn dog batter is rolled in a mixture of tater tots and cheddar cheese and then deep fried. Wow. I mean, there's stuff like this is really what you got to go to the fair for. It's incredible. So yeah, I'm all about whatever potato technology they're using, whatever like new cheesy thing they have to offer. But also you like, you got to just keep an eye out for the new stuff. Cause even though I don't usually want to eat it, like I really don't, I don't really want pickle pizza, but I like to know it exists. Uh, hope y'all go to your local state fair before summer's over. Okay. Bye. Hi, Carly. This is Kate calling from the St. Louis area, but I am a Chicago transplant like all the cool kids. Um, I just want to tell you, I binged the entire podcast this summer when I'm teacher home for summer break. Loved it. I've been following you for years, so I'm not sure why I started all the summer, but once I started, I couldn't stop. Love your mom, of course. Have a kind of random question. I don't go to the parks as often as I would like to, and I went to Disney World last year for my 20th wedding anniversary with my family. 
And I walked into the candy shop, and I'm like, I want to try that churro toffee. And then was very embarrassed to realize that's a Disneyland thing. So my question is, why? Why are there some things offered on the West Coast and not on the East Coast? I kind of understand why the international places have their own special things, but I feel like Disney's Disney here in America. Thank you so much. Love your show. And I don't know what I'm going to do without it now. I guess we're listening. Thanks so much. Bye. Good question. Because you're right. I mean, Disney, you know, it's the same country, Disneyland, Disney World, kind of in the same place. They should have similar snacks, but they don't. Churro Toffee is a Disneyland Resort exclusive treat. And if I had to guess, it would just be because they they have different kitchen setups. They have different baking setups. And so perhaps Churro Toffee is something that the kitchens on the West Coast are just uh, better equipped to make and to serve. Uh, maybe it's a climate thing. I'm sure there's a reason because I don't think Disney would really hold back on a sweet treat that could make them money unless there was like truly an infrastructure reason. That's kind of what I'm leaning to. I'll ask around and see what I can find out. But I also kind of like, I mean, I know I live in California, but I kind of like the Churro Toffee is California exclusive because it is like a little, it's a little fun. It's what I always get when I go to a sweet shop, but I, which is what I generally call all of them. So I don't have to name check them by location, but I tend to prefer that over a caramel apple, over those horrible gigantic cookies, which you all know I don't like over most other things. I do like a marshmallow wand, but still, I really, really, really love the Churro Toffee and it just feels so California to me. But in terms of it not being in Florida, I think it's probably just the what their kitchens are set up to make. However, you know, in Disneyland, we don't have caramel popcorn and you now have really good caramel popcorn in both Epcot and Magic Kingdom. So consider it a trade-off. And if you can't get your toffee, just get yourself some caramel popcorn. I mean, it's not the same, but it's helpful. Also, if you are hankering for churro toffee or any of you are now thinking about eating it because we are talking about it at length, there are recipes for it online. It seems pretty doable at home because I think it's just like a white chocolatey layer, like white candy chocolate over toffee with like sprinkled cinnamon sugar. It seems pretty doable at home. So if that is something you are interested in, I would seek out those recipes so you can have churro toffee no matter where you live. Thank you so much for calling and I, I hope you get your churro toffee fix fixed soon. Oh, hi, it's me again. One more thing I wanted to mention, which I thought these are what my earlier words were saying, but they were not, is that a lot of times the different theme park resorts, Disneyland Resort and Walt Disney World Resort will have different food purveyors. They'll have different people that provide them with different ingredients, different food. And I would assume if there is one thing that is pretty prevalent at Disneyland and not at Disney World, it might just be that maybe they can't get those same ingredients or those supplies as readily as they can in California, in Florida. So I would probably base food system stuff on that. Okay, hope that helps. All right, I'll stop talking about toffee. Okay, bye. That's our show! Thank you all so much for listening to this extensive Disneyland guide episode. Now we have a lot more guides for you coming up all guide ghost long. So stay tuned for three more how-tos for your most requested theme parks. Because audio is extremely tricky to update, I just want to mention to please check the show notes for any errors or clarifications. And be sure to stay tuned to my social media for any forthcoming news, any changes, and hopefully a written version of this guide one day. Wink, wink. I'm hoping to do them for all of our guide guests episodes, but wanted to get these podcasts out first and foremost. You can follow me at Carly Wiesel on Twitter, on Instagram, on TikTok, which sometimes I'm there, sometimes I'm not. And you can join the FOMALY at facebook.com slash groups slash Carly Wiesel. 
please, if you have a moment of time, rate, review, and follow us on Apple Podcasts. And rate and follow us on Spotify if you prefer to listen there. I've been listening to more podcasts there recently, and it's kind of fun to switch it up between apps. A very special thank you to people who have recently left the kindest reviews on Apple Podcasts. Jomo Pofo Show called this podcast Gilmore Girls-esque, which is the highest compliment. Meg Snowdown said such kind things. Thank you, Meg Snowdown. ARC2245, I'm so glad we could spend the summer together too. Long list of love, JB was screaming with excitement and completely on my energy level. I am so grateful. Disney Not Nikki was wondering if my mom will adopt them, which I don't have a problem with. We can totally be siblings. By Liam, by Liam said... I gotta quote this review for you. Carly brings the best of a carnival-like atmosphere to podcasts, minus the scary clouds. I mean, that might have to be our new tagline because you get me. (laughs) Thank you. And a special thank you to the amazing Tall and Shelly, who I think I've thanked before, but just in case I did not acknowledge your review. Thank you, thank you, thank you once again. You can give us a call day night uh the moment you wake up when you're like oh what should i do should i just scroll tiktok for hours what should i do give us a call when you're bored you just want to say hi at 747 churros you can also text us a voice note there or email it to 747 churros at gmail.com merchandise for sale is available at very-amusing.com in a few weeks from now because we just put the order in so maybe in about five weeks we will be debuting infant i believe we did baby and kids t-shirts so stay tuned if you want your whole family if you want the public to know that your family has great taste in podcasts and are also very amusing you know like people you just want to let people know your family is funny we got you That should debut soon, but until then, we have t-shirts, we have sweatshirts, we have Shrek's Ember beanies, we have a ton of stuff at very-amusing.com. If you want to support the show and rep it at various places on your torso and head. This episode was edited exactingly by Jeff Fox. Thanks so much for listening. See you real soon. Hey, sweetheart, it's mom. I love Jeffrey Epstein. I love him. I love him. He's always kind. He's always sweet. And we still bonded on our Disney Wish cruise. It was wonderful. I love hearing about him, but his resume is real, real good. I've never heard one like that. He can do anything, this guy. I. He's one of the sweetest, kindest, cutest human beings. I just adore him. Next to you. Sorry, I didn't want to leave that out. Um, the caller, this is very important also, the caller who Andrew, I think her name was, who called about the toilet paper, this is a big issue because I am one person that is very sensitive to certain toilet papers. I know this is not, it is very amusing content, sorry. So I end up, I go to Costco and I get the Kirkland toilet paper because I think that's the best. And I pack it wherever I go. I pack my own toilet paper so I don't have this one less dresser to worry about. Plus, I'd pack a 50-pound luggage so I can fit it in. I fit everything in. But the toilet paper, my trick, I take the cardboard out in the middle, put it in a Ziploc, and just, like, smash it down. It's still good. So I bring that on the trip. And if you notice, I had it on our trip. I love Kirkland. Good plug for them. But I love you. I love your podcast. It was wonderful seeing you this last week. I'm sorry we didn't have time to do another podcast together. Not that I didn't try to push it, because I did. I love you. Next time. All right, sweetheart. Have a wonderful week.
Bye to everybody, and I'll see you next week. Bye, Amy.